Tillinghast had once been the prey of failure, solitary and melancholy, but now I knew, with nauseating fears of my own, that he was the prey of success. Sort of like how some of us are the prey of filmmakers adapting the work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing the 1986 adaptation of From Beyond, written by Brian Yuzna, Dennis Paoli, and uh, director Stuart Gordon. And, I mean, it's... Wow, James, it's, it's been... It, it's only been about a month since we've done this podcast last, but uh, a lot has happened. Um, I, I got married. Yeah. Um, you moved in with your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, COVID-19 hit. And mm-hmm. now... During all that, yeah. During yeah, and, all and, these great things in our lives, yeah. yeah. And now we are both recording this on a weekday afternoon because we are both uh, working remotely. Uh, it's... Yeah. It, it, there's been a lot going on. It's been a very weird time, yeah. And then out of all... And then what's weird is, like, we, you know, we had planned not doing an episode in March either way because of, you know, your, you know marriage coming up and you know you were going to actually have a good time you know like to get away you know and then i was like planning okay i was going to go on vacation we're going to move in together her mom was going to move down to florida be with her mother and yeah that all went to the shitter that all kind of got thrown to the wayside like you know her mom didn't go because we didn't want her to go mm-hmm. like i don't trust it yeah and luckily certain things you know like like her sister like her mom's sister's down there with the mother right now, so she's kind of like there until Corinne's mom can go. So, and then on top of all that, Stuart Gordon dies. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it was one of those weird things where I was going to sleep the night when it was kind of slowly being reported on, and like it was like th- two or three in the morning, and I saw some, you know, tweets like, "Oh my God, R.I.P. Stuart Gordon," or. Or I always know it when I see, oh, my God, my favorite movies are this, this, and this. And I'm like, why would they just talk talking about Stuart Gordon out of nowhere? Yeah. And then I just, you know, then I kind of went to sleep. And then I woke up the next, the, the day that he, you know, was more official mm-hmm. from, like, Mick, Mick Garris kind of was the first to kind of, because mm-hmm. that's, like, one of his best friends. And, like, and I was kind of, like, heartbroken. I was kind of just sitting there just almost like, and, you know, I don't, you know. I didn't know Stuart Gordon like I wanted to, and supposedly the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, yeah. Helped everybody. Like, it was like, wow, this guy, like, I had heard stories, but then, like, you hear more, like, from all types of people, like, like from one aspect of horror to the other, and you're like, wow. And then, then of course, all this stuff comes out, and, I mean, this is something I knew about, but then you see the, um, the strength of his, how he brought um, – theater especially experimental theater and stuff in chicago he was like one of the forefronts of that and like him and david mammoth were the best of friends and which is funny to think you know like this yeah. guy's making these like like you know gore filled like horror films based on lovecraft for the most part or and other stuff and then david mammoth is serious you know you know um screenwriter slash you know theater guy and like but somehow it kind of makes sense you know, and then they made the film together, Edmund, which is actually, if if if, if you want to see something that's not horror, that Stuart Gordon made, that's one. But I'll I'll mention some others later. But yeah, it's just a big loss, especially not even just for horror, but like I said, for theater also. And it's kind of like we kind of just decided, you know what, we're kind of both sitting, you know, at home. We got some time. Let's 
let's just do this like we were going to cover these films no matter what but probably later on yeah mm-hmm. and now it's kind of like it makes sense let's do it now you know be it you know just as a little like um nod to the man and also these are two stories that we haven't even like discussed as much within the mythos of you know lovecraft too yeah and, and you know whenever you go on imdb and you search for a, a a film or a filmmaker and you're on their page and off to the right hand side it sort of auto populates with like articles most relevant to that yeah. person or that thing i was mm-hmm. on imdb today and one of them was a link to a, a story about Stuart gordon and it was uh the title was something to the effect of like um Actually, it is good to meet your heroes. Like, I mean, yeah, by all reports, yeah. he was a, a wonderful guy. I had heard him, not heard him speak, but I, I listened to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Society podcast, and he was a guest on there talking about Reanimator. Nice. It's interesting, because for a guy who makes such, let's say, uh, uh, loud films to a certain degree, he was a very soft-spoken guy. He was, very much. Especially when he does his, like, the best things about the releases of his films that come out is when he has a commentary track with them. Because mm. he's so knowledgeable and very, like you said, soft-spoken. He, and he's got one of those voices you just want to listen to. You're like, please tell me stories, Uncle Gordon. You know, like, <laughs> Uncle Stuart Gordon, please tell me stuff. And and that's the thing. I think that's kind of like he was. He was like the, maybe you could call him, like, the lovable horror uncle mm. within the horror community. Like, where nobody ever said a bad word about him because it seems like he was just that type of guy. He just was a... A loving spread that love and wanted because he wasn't like you said wasn't a loud person so he was almost like let me give credit to other people and then i'll take the credit afterwards yeah and, you know? and, and by all reports a very hard-working guy i mean reanimator um from beyond and, and the film we'll, we'll be talking about in another, another episode dagon yeah low budget movies that he really like he worked to stretch that budget to get you know what he really wanted to get done out of it oh definitely i mean We'll talk about it with From Beyond and then later in the next episode with Dagon. Like, just even, like, you know, the limitations of, like, special effects, you I, I, you know, and we'll go more into it, with, with, especially with um, with Dagon. Yeah, you know, there's some dodgy CGI, but, you know, that one especially was 2001. Mm-hmm. was a time of most films just throwing everything at dodgy CGI. His yeah. is, like, it's, like, practical, and then you have, like, oh, okay, there there's 2001. And then it goes back to, like, some practical. You go, okay, you're trying, you know, and you have, like, the Spanish, you know, crew. Mm-hmm. So it's much more low budget. But you could tell always with his films, even if you necessarily didn't, like, you know, like some parts of it or something, you could tell there's love behind it. Or he's, And, like, the love of Lovecraft where he kind of just wanted to spread the word of his writing. And, like, like I've told you before, because of Stuart Gordon, that's why I got into H.P. Lovecraft. Like, yeah. Reanimator and From Beyond were two films early on that I watched, like, from renting from, you know, the the video store across the street for me at the time. And I would just keep renting them because I would just want to, like, pause and, like, watch, like, how, like, this, you know, the, the special effects. I'm like, oh, my God, look at, like, how did it... And, like, you know, he became known as, like, one of the um, slime... The slime like horror guys, you yeah, know, like yeah. slimy, goofy, <laughs> gross, like especially what we'll be talking about with From Beyond. That's a slimy movie. That's like, <laughs> like you feel like, oh, you got to take a shower after this. Like, yeah. Um, but but that's kind of like what I love. I mean, we'll talk about the stuff that we, you know, don't like, of course, like certain things that were added and 
and I even talked to my girlfriend about some of that stuff this morning before work, and even she would agree with certain, especially with our reanimator yeah. um, knock with the whole head giving head scene. And even she was just like, yeah, because she, she's not as familiar with the story. So she's like, wait, so they added that in the movie? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like, couldn't you just kidnapped her and saying you're going to be my bride and just kept her like you even if they kept her like half clothed like chain but not the set i'm like yeah they could have done that but they chose for the uh the low lowest common denominator like joke like, yeah. uh, head giving head right i'm not the biggest Stuart gordon fan he he makes a lot of choices as a director that i find curious at best and sometimes uh antithetical uh to the story at worst but just like you said, Stuart Gordon's reanimator, that was my first exposure to H.P. Lovecraft. Watching that movie got me into this larger world of an author that I eventually grew to love. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you, you may not love Nirvana, but it got you into a larger music genre that you really appreciated. Or or you may not love Godard, but maybe he got you into the French New Wave and, and a new expression of filmmaking. So It's funny you mentioned Godard. Um, I, res- I respect Godard for the most part, like with certain, you know, like Breathless, but... I always say, like, because of that, I got into, like, Melville. I got into, mm-hmm. you know, Dustin, Dustin, you know. I got into these other filmmakers that I think are, to me, far superior. Or like you said, like, if someone's not into, let's just say, you know, the Beatles. I'm not really into them. But you like, you know, these other 20 bands that, because <laughs> of the Beatles, they started picking up guitars and drums and playing. And, you you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's people that, like, like, like yourself that aren't the biggest Stuart Gordon fan, but you go, well, because of this, I got into this whole mythos and then I could appreciate, you know, where he was coming from, but I'll prefer these adaptations and stuff. But I kind of find it funny that really like the ones that Gordon has made, like from beyond, I maybe besides a couple of short films here and there, I don't think anyone else has ever tried to tackle that story or even like, Dagon itself, even though Dagon's kind of a combination of Dagon and Insmith, you know, like kind of a almost like a mashing of the two. And yeah. In some places, I think it's called like Insmith or stuff. But mm. and even Reanimator, I think it's been tried once. I mean, I'm not counting the sequels, but like <laughs> someone else tried to make Herbert West Reanimator, which we'll probably cover at some point. But <laughs> um, that doesn't look so promising. But I kind of find it funny that he took now, I guess you would say stories that weren't as but even then, when you think about it, when he was making them, these these stories weren't as popular, yeah, per se. So he kind of revitalized that. And I, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. When I watched these, I went to like a bookstore and I found like you know one of the many compilation you know trades of like you know here's six stories of H.P. Lovecraft, and you go okay, let me read them. And you know that was always the shocking thing when you'd watch these movies. And then you'd read the story, you're like, wait, it's only seven pages? It's only <laughs> yeah. 12 pages. And it's like shocking, like, wow. They... But then again, like you said, and I kind of agree with a lot of times, sometimes they they try to add too much to kind of, and it's not even making it in present day. I mean, you could do anything. Like we, we even said with the color out of space, you put it today and you add added some little stuff, but it still had the heart of the story. You know, like it still had, you know what it is. If you read the story, you go, okay, I recognize 80% of the story in there. They just added little touches, you know. But I, I'm, I'm the weirdo that everyone's always like, reanimator, reanimator, reanimator. I love reanimator. I've said it. But from, I actually prefer From Beyond. I think it's a better adaptation. I'm with you. And I, th- and I think the horror within it and, like, you know, 
we haven't really talked, but, you know, we, we were going over your notes and like, you know, it's this strange, just like, it, it, it is sexual, but it's not like, it's weird. Cause like, again, we'll talk about Barbara Crampton's usage in the film. Um, and I love you. I love Barbara Crampton, but it's, it's funny when you look at it at an old, you know, older mind, you go, oh man, they were just like, just banking always on her sexuality. Yeah. And she's actually not a bad actress. Like she's no. actually good. Mm-hmm. That's what's that. And, and I love that now she's had this resurgence, and now she can act. Yeah, you're right. You know, even though she's still like so beautiful, but like she's like the mother now, or the evil being within like a like a video board game. <laughs> I love that. I love that range. You know, but but that's the thing. Like from beyond, I think when I watched it, I was like, wow, this film is much. Even though it feels like you know. It could be, of course, with the same two actors and the same director and the same people behind the scenes. To me, it feels like it is different. It has some weird comedy bits, but I don't know. I've always preferred this one just because the villain, quote-unquote villain, I actually like better. I mean, you know, evil, you know, doctor with a head cover is cool and all, but the whole thing with the resonator and the pineal gland, it's like this really like creepy extra dimension like where these beings are right here in front of us right now mm-hmm. but because we're not breaking that space we don't but then when they come they can bite you they can hurt you yeah and then you know we'll talk about pretorius when he becomes one with <laughs> the beings and 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 it's something that's been copied like so many times with a being going beyond and like or from beyond you know <laughs> And, like, you know, I mean, hell, like, I'll even look at something like um, Carpenter's in the Mouth of Madness, which I rewatched recently. Oh, yeah. The whole thing with Sutter Kane. He, you know, it's he's Lovecraft. He's yes. like Stephen King. He's Lovecraft if he was as popular as Stephen King. A, a few uh, tying up thoughts about Stuart Gordon. Uh, obviously, when, when someone, especially of his age, passes away, you especially in the current climate, you're like, was it COVID? As far as I can tell, I haven't read anything that attributes it to that. It just seemed like, you know, he wasn't very old. I think he was only about 72. Yeah, um, but, I think so. But, uh, but still lived a, a long, full life. Uh, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, it's it It's weird to, to uh, remember that him and David Mamet were very close to think like, oh, the guy that wrote Glengarry Glen Ross was like best friends with the guy who directed Space Truckers. <laughs> hey, Space Truckers is cool, man. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny to say that. Yeah, Space Truckers and... Uh... And also the guy who co-wrote "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." I think I think he was "Honey, I Blew Up the Kids." Is is what he? Really, it was "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Maybe he was a co-writer, but I think he's he's credited as the writer on "Honey, oh. I Blew Up the Kid." Okay, but either way, funny to say, like, oh, you did like these hor- like horrific, you know, violent, gory, sexual films, and then yeah, I made this Rick Moranis film, you know, <laughs> cute, you know, and and you know, like Space Truckers is very much more of a it's a kid's film like it's fun kids and even some like robot jocks you know stuff like that big right. robots finding each other it's like uh, space truckers i think was his his follow-up to castle freak i don't know what that says about him as a person but that's uh that's I think not... he needed to wash himself after castle <laughs> freak we'll talk about that another time that maybe <laughs> true but uh so we got from beyond here and a little bit of background on the story as i want to do uh, the story was written in 1920, but not published until 1934 in uh, the Fantasy Fan, and it's only seven pages long. I actually, I I don't think I had read this before. 
I'd hmm. seen the movie before, but I hadn't read the story before watching this, and I didn't realize how short it was. But yeah, only seven pages long. Um, our friend St. Joshi, St. Joshi, sorry, I don't know where that pronunciation came from, <laughs> uh, points out that the story's themes of a reality beyond that revealed to us by the senses or that which we experience in everyday life is continued in later Lovecraft films or films tales such as the uh, the Shunned House, the Color Out of Space, uh, and the Dreams in the Witch House. I also thought of um, the music of Eric Zahn. Just in that mm. sense of uh, there's some type of, in, in that story, it's music. and this one, it's it's a science experiment. But just this idea of some type of experience which opens up a, a new realm that we are not uh, able to perceive of. Um, right. I just thought that that uh, Eric Zahn, Color of Space, and From Beyond make like a fun little uh, trilogy together. Um, doesn't seem to be too well-loved. Um, Josie judges it, quote, unlikely that From Beyond will ever be regarded as one of Lovecraft's better tales due to its, quote, slipshod style, melodramatic access, and general triteness of plot. Um, he also hypothesizes that Crawford Tillinghast's reference to the pineal gland to be a joke at the expense of Rene Descartes, who proposed that this gland was the point of mediation between the material body and the immaterial soul. Um, and, and I get that. Uh, uh, <laughs> Lovecraft was certainly a person that was not without humor. It just he was uh, such an intellectual that sometimes it was lost on, on those who were not quite of in on the things that he was a part of. But um, the film is is uh, Gordon's second Lovecraft adaptation after Reanimator, reuniting him with Jeffrey Combs, who plays Dr. Crawford Tillinghast, and Barbara Crampton, who is um, an invented character for the film, Dr. Catherine McMichaels. And it's interesting because Crawford Tillinghast in the story is obviously the kind of the crazy doctor that our narrator right. knows of, and this one they kind of switch it, whereas... You know, he is still, is he a crazy guy? But he is not the one that perpetrates all these experiments. That's another invention of the film. Um, Dr. Edward Pretorius, played by Ted Sorrell. Uh, and the name Pretorius is a reference to the doctor who tempted Victor Frankenstein to the dark side. And uh, another fun little Easter egg, uh, Dr. Roberta Block is a reference to Robert Block, who was the writer who wrote um, Psycho, of course. Um but no, it, it was it was fun. It's always fun to see Jeffrey Combs again. Oh yeah, yeah. No matter what the film, like he gives it his all. Like <laughs> he certainly does. He will never be accused of half-assing it, Jeffrey Combs. No. <laughs> um, and I I'd actually forgotten that Barbara Crampton was in uh, Reanimator as well. But um, yeah, and, and this was a, a little bit of more background. Um, it was an Italian production shot in a soundstage that was owned by Dino De Laurentiis. And uh, Brian Yuzna said it only cost about $2.5 million, where if it was shot in the United States, it would have been closer to about 15 And even with that, not all the effects were done by the time the film was done, which upset Stuart Gordon. But even having said that, ah, oh, man, I love practical effects. And this, this was a... James, do you know who did the... Was this like a famous effects team or guy that did this stuff for this one? I don't... You know, it's funny. Like, this is one, like, I've, I don't 100% know. Like... Does it say who was more of the, um, oh, well, yeah, you know what? Okay, yeah, that's why I recognize the name. John Carl Buechler, mm -hmm. who went on to do everything from, he directed some films. Like, he, you know, he did the special effects and, and stuff for, like, Troll. Okay. And, like, yeah, which, you know, not the best. But the <laughs> Trolls look good. They look better than Troll 2 with mm -hmm. the goblins. But, um, and, yeah, he did a lot of, like, kind of, like, I think he might have been the guy that might have helped Screaming Mad George also, which is funny. Then, okay. then Screaming Mad George got into the whole mix with Brian used the and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, John Carl Buechler, like famously, I think he made Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. If I'm wrong, I apologize. It's either Part Seven or Part Eight. I think it's Part Seven. The one, yeah, because Eight is um, Eight is Jason Takes Manhattan. 
then it's the one before seven where okay seven is like almost like bloodless you know okay. which is funny that it's bloodless and it's a jason film but it's it's gone on record that there's like 20 something minutes cut out that showing like right people getting cut in half and stuff and he he directed and did all the stuff and he said it's like and he's since passed on um i think he died from cancer last year hmm. but but he said like you know it was one of his biggest regrets that they could never find that print of the uncut version of his film it's like mm. now is the time to put it out like let's get it out there but sadly you know like a lot of a lot of films they were cut and who knows they probably threw out the the footage like they usually do yeah but, but yeah so that that makes sense then it makes sense why it looks actually pretty good and goopy you know and it it, uh, it reminded me of uh of the thing in some parts especially near the end of the climax when it when uh, Pretorius is kind of this huge multi-layered beast that's kind of like splitting apart as Jeffrey yeah. Holmes is trying to literally climb out from inside of him. I know. It's so great. Like, not many actors you can get to just like, okay, we're going to put you in this big rubber <laughs> suit with like, like with all this like goop and we want you to rip out of it. Okay, I'll do it. You mm. got it. <laughs> while, while you have like, while you bit off your like little, yeah, like, like it's just gross. Like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> it. It certainly is. It's, it's, I like the story because the story in only seven pages still creates a good impression, if not tone, because there's not a whole lot going on. But just this idea of there is a reality that is constantly around us, but we are not aware of us is very eerie. And it's funny because I keep seeing From Beyond described as a loose adaptation, which I guess it is only because it's seven pages long, the story. But I yeah. mean, it's it's still pretty faithful to the at least just the general concept of there's this thing called the resonator, which allows us to kind of activate the pineal gland to uh, experience this reality, which is all around us. And there's crazy shit out there, which is going to kill us. Um, those yeah. are the only elements you need, and this film does it. But also, I think in a good way, adds some stuff to it, which um, extrapolates from that and also adds some things that I think is... is uh, I don't necessarily want to call this film... Uh, an intelligent film not because it's dumb but it's it's main it's main concern i think is viscera and kind of upsetting you and kind of grossing you out but i think it does speak to some larger themes especially kind of the the primal nature of people and 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 how that ties into identity um i like how from beyond also speaks to another strength of lovecraft which was uh, he was a, a a very studious person, so he knew a lot about history and he knew a lot about science. As being kind of like a recluse who was terrified of the outside world, he read a lot, and so right. um, a lot of his stuff is based in some type of real science and real study in a way that makes sense. And so the, the pineal gland is actually a real thing. I must yeah. admit, when I first read the story, I thought it was oh, made up. So. It's it's <laughs> a real thing. Um, admittedly, its function isn't fully understood. They they think it has something to do with melatonin and and regulating sleep patterns and also maybe something to do with hormones in in women but it's not fully understood so the fact that he takes this thing which actually exists and has sort of a unknown mysterious function but roots it in something that's real and then uses kind of the mystery to kind of play around in the creativity and then like and hypothesize well maybe this is tapping into something which is primordial within us is is an interesting that's an interesting playground to play in and i think he creates something really cool with it yeah it's like the whole uh you know when people jokingly say oh the lizard lizard part of your brain like Mm -hmm. that primordial that it shows how almost like how easy you can switch someone that's totally one way and like bring out their 
base, you know, sexual, like, like, I basically just want to, like, have sex and just almost, like, bloodletting. Like, this is, you know, bestial side that, like, like, where does that come from? And, you know, I, I kind of like the idea that a machine can easily switch that on and off with everyone that's around, almost, like, mm. to the point where it's like, like, I think, isn't it, um... Ken Forey's character, Bubba Brown, the best name ever, Bubba Brownlee. Um, <laughs> doesn't he say something like, I got a heart on here? Uh, whatever, like, I think because it's just, he, he can't control it. It's just all of a sudden, it's like, what the hell am I even feeling right now? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, be, because we, we tie, yeah, we, we tie into, there are so many things when it comes to sex and sexuality that we tie into feelings or behaviors when a lot of stuff is not ingrained in us, but it's, it's, in there inherently, and even just the idea when when Ken Forey, yeah, he says like I, I got a heart on here. <laughs> At the actual core, like uh, an erection is just like a flow of blood to a specific member of the body. Exactly. And you can, and there are some things which may stimulate that, and there are some times are just like why why is this happening to me right now? Right, right. And and so that idea of I have no control over my physical body, um, or there is external stimuli which is doing this when i don't want it to happen or i have no control over it kind of speaks to that thought that's within lovecraft's work of just like we are basically just bags of flesh so that we don't really have any significance we can be manipulated we can be killed and whatever but we are not overly special basically right which is a which is a recurring theme in lovecraft stories mm-hmm. just like we're we're nothing compared to what else is out there like like you said like in the notes it's true let's just try to have these peak sexual or like these peak emotional like achievements in our life. You know, like it's kind of like in a weird way, it's almost like deals with like people that are drug addicts, you know, like they always feel like they have to get that next high Mm. and it'll, it'll never be that well again, but Mm. they're always searching for that next, you know, feel or, you know, people that are actually a film that also actually kind of delves into that as Cronenberg's crash, which I like, which I've not seen. Yeah, uh, definitely watch it. But it's not like it's one of those films that's, you know, when you watch, it, you go, okay, I'm gonna have to take a shower and <laughs> think about life again because you know it's it it almost deals with this kind of mentality. But like, of course, it goes to Cronenberg links of like car crash. Yeah, it's just yeah, it, it's an inter- like without saying too much about it. But I yeah. that'd be an interesting double feature from Beyond and Crash, like <laughs> the base sexuality of us all. You know, date night. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I, I mean, when, when you, you know, because this resonator in, in the story and in the movie makes us aware of these creatures that seem like, more explicitly in the movie, all they want to do is feed. They just want to eat. Yes. They want to, you know, do that kind of thing. And that, that is an instinctual survival thing. They eat to survive. Now, I do have to, you know, concede. I'm sure part of this movie was like, yeah, they wanted to get Barbara Crampton in like an S&M leather outfit for like a titillation thing. So, yeah. Okay, that... That it's a horror movie from the '80s, so you come to expect that sort of shit. But I, I do like the idea that the film gets to of this idea of how, if the creatures in Lovecraft's universe and thus the creatures in this movie, and I'm I'm even referring to the humans as just creatures, if they are just bags of flesh, if we are just physical things, then what is the highest thing that they can achieve? And it's some type of physical achievement. It's some type of visceral experience. Right. For the humans in the film, it's sex. But it's even more than that because there seems to be some type of uh, extrapolation or comparison from like from sex to pain to like eating. Even like the the Pretorius's 
as a human, seems like he's a salacious, unsavory character. But yes. as as this from beyond type of creature, like he just keeps like he basically just wants to consume. He's like, I want to, I, I want to be inside your mind. Like it's not a sexual thing. It's more of just like I want to consume you in a way. Right. It's yeah. He 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 needs to consume because that's the only way he's feeling some sort of pleasure now mm-hmm. is the consuming of people. You know? Yeah. It it it, it speaks it speaks to this uh, a recurring theme in Lovecraft stuff, which is like it's a. Uh, you know, these cults and these people who are involved in it, it's not that they want to destroy the world or they want death, but they've just transcended to a different experience. And it's like, we can't understand what what these things are experiencing. So it, it becomes horrific to us when it's like, well, that's not what our human experience is like. No, of course not. I mean, but and, and then again, there are people out there that, like, what I love about this too is when a, you know, Pretorius, you know, whatever, you know, basically... The beginning of the film is just the resonator is used, and it's almost kind of a similar beginning to like Reanimator, where something crazy happens with the experiment mm-hmm. with the doctor that was helping or whatever, and then it just goes a different route. Where did this really happen, or is it all in you know um, Combs, you know Tillinghast's mind? And what I love about it is that every time, like, like when we see more about Pretorius's life before, like the videos of him, like. S and M, like, but you could tell he was a guy that was not getting the most. Um, he wasn't getting the okay from a lot of these women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I, I'm guessing they were either like prostitutes that he took, and like I always ha- had the feeling that they like alluded to that, like, like these people were never found again. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like, it kind of had that feeling with the way the video was shown, and like when like Barbara Crampton's uh, McMichael's finds it, and like. It's almost like disgusted, but also turned on a little bit because that's and that's before the machine's even on. Yeah, and it's all it's it's already going to the back of her mind. Like, what is that? So, like you said, like, yeah, would you say this film is the most intelligent? I understand what you're getting at, like, but I think there's a lot more thought in this film, and especially with the sexuality part. Yeah, I don't agree. Like what you said, like, and like we'll get into with the S and M thing, where it's almost like it's almost kind of denouncing all S and M. Like, oh. Yeah, you're a salacious piece of shit if you if you're into that. Yeah, no, you're not. Like it's kind of like that '80s mentality of of this, where like you had films like this or <laughs> something. I always like to point to where like that's not what you do is um um the people on the stairs, Wes Craven, where oh yeah, the whole gimp the gimp costume, and then then Pulp Fiction had the whole gimp guy. You know, like <laughs> it was this recurring theme in like horror and like kind of like weird films where. There was always either someone in a gimp costume or S and M, and like they were like, "Ooh, they're bad." You know, you got to be careful. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they're not to be trusted. It's like, no, we we know now. You know, with more people coming out and saying, "No, it's not always that." You know, it's it, there are people that use it for that. Those are the bad people. That's yeah. kind of like I wish. And who knows? I don't. I don't, I don't think Stuart Grom was saying, "Oh, it, every every person with S and M is bad." It's just. I think you know, Paoli and and um, used the, you know, going for the what what most people think of it as, you know, it's like oh that means you're like naughty, you know, that's I you know I just have sex this way, like that's the normal way. Look at the way you do it, uh, you know that you know what I mean? Like it's a shock, it's a shocking thing to show in a movie. You know, ooh look look how titillating that is, you know? Yeah, and it, it is, um, and I guess especially in. Uh even though it was an Italian production in Reagan's America, you know, 1986, S and M bondage, that kind of stuff. Like it, it, it was seen as like 
this is not normal. It's seen as a perversion. And that is, in retrospect, like, it's a very kind of backwards approach to fetish. I mean, uh, yeah. one of the things I remember when, uh, when the Fifty Shades of Grey movie came out, the very first one, I remember, I think it was an AV Club article that said that they didn't expect the film to be good, but they were hoping that it would at least kind of cause a conversation around, like, hey, maybe S&M and Bondage, like, it's just another form of people expressing something. It doesn't have to do with the fact that I'm right. a sick, twisted person. This is how I get off. Um, but then, of course, with the way that... Who wrote that book? L.D. Gray? L.D.? Yeah. E.J. E. e. James? E. J. Or E.L. James? I don't know, something like... I think, you know, now that I think L.D. Gray is actually the name of someone I know. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, they, and he also wrote, you know... Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but you know, then it actually turned out that she seems to have a fundamental misunderstanding of why people engage and what the power dynamic is. But I, I if I want to, if I was extending some grace to this film and the filmmakers, I, I think it's instead what they were trying to do with it was just kind of give some type of pendulum swing for Doctor McMichael's, who starts out, you know, she was the quintessential kind of buttoned up. 80s woman you know she's got the glasses she's got her hair up in a bun and she's all kind of prim and proper right. um and she's very in, and she's she's very intellectual and so to kind of give in to this this visceral urge and just kind of like give in to an instinct or an impulse is like very different from what she's like so i i can almost imagine them thinking like listen we have this character what would be the opposite what would push the bounds of this character yeah no, I know, and then, like I said, that's why I think it's done better. It's not, is it done perfectly? No, it's yeah, not. But sure. as opposed to just screaming damsel, and then being you know raped, basically. Not it. This is at least a step up. At least you could tell. Let's and 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 that's the other thing. Like we actually, we kind of, I kind of said it, and we've all always said it with um, Gordon. The reason why he uses like the same actors a lot is because he's from the theater world. Yeah. So you like working with this troupe of people. Let me just give them because if they're good in that, they should be good in these other stories in the same world. And I think it's a good because then even in Castle Freak, like you know, which we'll cover at some other point, but Castle Freak's not not a great film, but it works because of the actors. Like again, it's like seeing them in different roles again. Like they're a married couple now, mm. so it's funny. Like that you have all these different ways. Um, oh, by the way, it's E. L. James. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I I knew I knew my name had to be in there somewhere. You know. <laughs> I, I I feel so bad. Yeah, because L. D. Gray is the name of a person I know, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. But out of all the ones, <laughs> oh, I should be a millionaire. But yeah. Oh, but yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Like with this, you know, um, I'm just trying to think. Oh, like another thing with, the, it is an '80s trope, but I kind of love it as an '80s trope when it's done well. And this one, I love the use of like the pink lights you know mm -hmm. like when yeah. the resonator's on it's all pink which i kind of appreciate because usually in horror films of any sort usually like the colors especially like giallo in italy trying to make sense made in italy they use colors really well yeah something like the reds and the greens you know sometimes like a bright orange or something but pink was never as much in like those films but the 80s is when like the neon you know like mm -hmm. miami vice and like that kind of like <laughs> yeah you know, films like Thief and stuff had that, like, cool, like, the light, the lighting. And I kind of love, like, this quote-unquote evil force is, like, this pink light that, like, with, like, goop. You know, like, it's like, that's the evil that we have to look out for. Yeah, well, and it, it seems to be, certainly have been uh, picked up or, or imitated, whether on purpose or not. But remember, 
Juan Vu's uh, Color Out of Space, he said that he per- he specifically used the purple for like you know uh, for a specific reason. It's slipping my mind right now. Um, yeah. And then and then also in in um, uh, the recent Color Out of Space, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like it's a purple and it's like a pink and it's sort of like these these colors that exist in in nature, but sort of taken to an extreme or an overabundance that that is not natural. Right, exactly, and that, like that's the thing when it's a dark room and all of a sudden all the light in there is just pink, this like mm. hot pink that's like, you know, quote unquote resonating with everyone, just making their minds change to this base material where you can't control it. And I kind of love that. Like that, to, like again, that kind of gets the idea of like Lovecraft. You can't control it. You can't, almost like you can't stop it. Even though this machine is not on, mm-hmm. stuff, stuff is either they put it on and even when they shut it off, fuck this, we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. It goes on by itself. Yeah. <laughs> even though she helps, like, when she starts to get, like, tempted by it. But even when they try to pull it out, it goes back in because it's, it's, it's basically beyond they can stop it now. Now, the, the, I guess you could say the quote-unquote fight with Pretorius mm. has to happen. You know, like, you can't just destroy the machine. You have to destroy him and the machine. But what else is going to get destroyed? And that's the thing. With, with, a, with a story that's only seven pages and it's a, you know, you read it, you're like, wow, that's it? Like, damn. They did like, you know, with the inclusion of like her, you know, Barbara Crampton's character as his doctor trying to, one, prove that he's not crazy. And two, she's in it because she wants, because she, she's read, you know, the the notes and stuff from Victorious and stuff. And she's actually really interested in this like scientific discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants, you know, so it's almost like in a way it's like, it's a greed. It's, it's almost like her greed is like, even though it's not money, but it's like the fame. I need. We need to bring this out. We need to spread this. But what if this got spread to the world? Mm-hmm. The world would end. You know. And you know what's interesting and just occurred to me was was the idea of how uh, McMichael's approach to or or her attitude towards sex in this, not just how that imitates like kind of. I mean, my wife and I were talking about this. Uh, I think just yesterday, but that idea of the first media or thing that we saw when when we were younger, we're just like, I don't know if I should be seeing this, and it was like dangerous and exciting, and how she yeah. has and how McMichael's has that approach. The characters in Lovecraft story sort of have that, but with knowledge or with like arcane knowledge, basically, where it's sort of like how many yeah. of his protagonists or or his or his side characters sort of like I discovered this thing, it was horrifying. But then they went back and they kept going back and eventually just opened this door of sort of like, uh, well, we can't close this door now. Yeah, the, the door is com- – yeah, it's, it's open. Like, you know, again, Carpenter and his semi, you know, Lovecraftian trilogy, all those stories have kind of like an element of that where this is going to – it has it's, – it's not going to end with, with, you know, peace and love. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of blood, a lot of bodies, <laughs> and mm-hmm. probably just everyone's going to be dead at the end. Yeah, you know, it, like Prince Prince of Darkness has that. Ugh. To me, that that has it to the T, where it's just like you want to go grim. <laughs> I mean, hell, even in the mouth. Of, I mean, when you think about it, all three of those films, have that where it ends when you're like, "Fuck, okay, <laughs> that okay, we're we're we're, we're screwed." <laughs> yeah, you know? those, and I love that. You know, those are some those are some bleak films. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I I've said it before, but I I love that this film also introduces this this theme of like of identity. What makes us human? What is more terrifying? This idea of like, oh, I've got consciousness, I've got sentience, but also like, but no, you are just controlled by impulses that you may not even be aware of. I mean, as Crawford begins like evolving, you know, he has to kind of fight off these instincts to to literally devour other people. 
you see that kind of conflict near the end when he's like, you know, run, you know, he's screaming for her to kind of get out. Right, but he, but he, but he, but he succumbs to it when he eats uh, Doctor Block's eye, <laughs> sucks it right out. Yep, right out of there. Which is what I always love. That's that's Stuart Gordon's wife. Oh, is it really? That's Carolyn Carolyn Purdy <laughs> Gordon. Yeah, which she's always joked like, yeah, you know, most of the time he tries to find a way to kill me in his movies. <laughs> she she doesn't die in Reanimator, luckily, but right. other films she always either dies or like something because she was from the same world. They met. Little side note about Gordon, which I was doing more research. They met when they were both 18 years old in the theater world and just fell like in love and then were married for like 50 something years Aww. Like, and worked together with everything like the theater work. Like there's these great, cute, cute, like old pictures. Like he had like the big bushy beard, and, mm. like, you know, kind of like almost like a little fro going on. And, you know, <laughs> she and, and they were always writing together, just kind of doing these plays and just kind of trying to get art out there. And like, you know, especially with now everything going on in the world, like that's that's what we have. It's like what well, like the arts and like when they want to like cut the funding and all this other. This is a sign note, but that shit just pisses me off. It's like if people find enjoyment and like it's something to escape reality. Like you know, watching this, like this and the next film, like no matter what, I escaped reality for those like hour and a half, two hours, whatever. You go okay, it could be worse. You know, it's one of those things. It could be like that. Mm. We, we, you know what I mean? We, we, you know, this is something in the world we can control to an extent. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. At least smart people are trying. <laughs> um, but then again, we'll see what happens in a few weeks. But yeah, like, but again, <clears throat> with Lovecraft, when it's done properly, there's no hope. There's no, there's no regard to human life because we're insignificant and. That's fine. I mean, like, and, and that's kind of what I love. Like, the, this is just like, you know, Pretorius, yeah, he gets controlled by whatever beings these are, whatever it is. And he's almost like become like their, not leader, but, you know, he's become like the king freak, you could say. Like, he's, yeah. hmm. he, cause he's devouring so much that he's like bigger than those little eels that are like biting hmm. and stuff. He's like gigantic, like you said. Like, it, it, it does look very familiar to the, similar to the, thing creature at the end when it's like the big mouth opening up and uh, it, it's very i didn't think about that that's actually funny i, I want to like do it we, we got to do a side-by-side -side comparison of the monsters I, I mean especially at the moment when uh he's like i want to give you a kiss and his head like splits oh. open and that other thing yeah. comes out of it i was like oh my god this reminds me of the thing certainly they were dealing with more budget on the thing oh of course um but still it, it looks i mean all like you know again all the special effects in this, even like the weird, like video effects that they had to do with these special effects, like with the eels and stuff, like they were kind of crossing through. I think it's done pretty well, you know, like like it's still done properly, like for especially for eighties, you know, like horror. It's something I miss, no matter how cheesy some of the special effects look. Yeah, I always prefer, and we've said it time and time again, we'll always prefer that to dodgy CGI. <laughs> yeah, and. I gotta tell you, um, I don't know if the filmmakers were thinking of it specifically, but <laughs> if you want to terrify me, put jellyfish in there, and just to see these little things floating through the air, oh. and then one of them attached to I'm like, no, fuck this, I'm out. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 the jellyfish, yeah, that that's always been, like, my big fear of, like, going to the ocean, like, jellyfish. Oh, forget it, no. Mm. I, I, and, and it's the thing, like, the creepiest thing I've ever seen was, like, going to the beach, and, like, coming out of the water, and then, like, almost stepping on a jellyfish that was... In the wet sand, mm -hmm. just waiting. Oh, no, it... and I'm like, I look, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I had to like jump. I'm like, oh my god, because yeah, it's like 
it can't move because it needs the water, but that like it's still alive. It's still waiting for you. And like, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's stuff like that. That again, that's because it, it's it's a a creature that doesn't make any sense when you think about it. It's right? so like, it's so alien. And here's here's the thing. And I, I'm yes. I'm I will preface this by saying I know this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But here's why I find them to be so terrifying. <laughs> because I realize if I'm conf- if you give me a choice, hey, it's a jellyfish or a brown bear, I would probably choose the jelly. I mean, I would definitely choose uh, the jellyfish. But oh, of course. But of course. You, you see a brown bear. You see it's got eyes, and those eyes are connected to a brain. And you think, yeah. like, I could scare this thing. I could reason with it. I could whatever. It, 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 it will take me in and calculate right. something about me. You see a jellyfish. It's got it no brain. It's got no eyes. And you think, this is just... It's impulse. It's Yeah, it's, it's just it's floating along on the water and just killing and stinging whatever it comes across. And that... Right, and I'm kind of glad they used like that in the movie, like of the whole impulse, like these mm-hmm. things that they basically what what it's saying, like the the jellyfish are beyond, like they're they're the creatures from this other world that somehow leaked through, yeah, and then went into the ocean with Dagon and uh, yeah, and hang out down there because it's true when when, when growing up when you hear about something that doesn't have a brain, doesn't make but it's a, but but it's alive, mm-hmm. you're like. Okay, really? <laughs> so you're right. There is no reasoning. You're dead. Like if if it stings you, you're screwed. Like yeah. you can't say stop it. Nope. Uh, no. Keep stinging. Yeah. What are you What are you gonna do? Scare it? No, you're not. You're not gonna scare it. No, oh, you're dead. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Uh, anyway, back uh. back to the movie. Yeah, uh, I I did wanna I, I did wanna read a, a quote from this uh, this article that I found from Sci-Fi that was published a few years ago that was. Um, 30 years later from beyond is Lovecraft at his kinkiest, which I disagree with because Lovecraft was not kinky. kinky. It's, it's what they added to the film, but, uh, this does a good job of kind of summing up, uh, my thoughts on, on from beyond, but, and I will, I will link to this on the Facebook page as well. If you want to read it yourself, as he did with reanimator, Gordon took Lovecraft material, which is often based on an unreliable first person point of view and features hints of the horror contained within the story instead of displaying them outright and turned it into a surreal, gruesome, trippy journey into excess that has equal parts outrageous and upsetting. Oh, unsettling, I'm sorry. If anything, there's a bit less humor in From Beyond than Reanimator, but a stronger connection to Lovecraft's best-known themes, such as the thin walls separating our reality from other, more nightmarish ones, and a lot more perversity. Yeah, the perversity part is a little like, yeah, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. but it's true, like, like, if you want to see the most asexual man ever to write, <laughs> Lovecraft is probably top three, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Like you said, I, I don't think you would know what S&M is or was. Like, I I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it, it would be really funny if you find out, like, somehow, if we were able to time travel and, like, go back in time and, like, he actually, that was all a persona. He was actually a normal guy that just, I had, this, this is my persona of, like, this asexual guy. It makes my story, even though then the stories didn't sell well. So it's not like he was making a lot of money doing this, you know? So, <laughs> I, I mean, considering uh, that this was a dude who was married for only a very brief time, but then, you know, witnessed his father go insane from like from some type of syphilis, watching yeah. his mother kind of die when he was living where they're like, I'm sure this guy had all sorts of like unworked out psychological issues. But of course, of course, I, I think to consider him or any of his worth kinky is kind of like, I don't think you understood what made him tick. 
It's like it's it, it's kind of like looking at something like Fifty Shades of Grey, and oh, that this is sexy. <laughs> no, it's it's the base of what that even idea is. It's someone that doesn't understand any of it writing about it. <laughs> like it, it's like if I wrote a, like a like a book about you know um, I don't know, real estate. I, I don't know much about real estate, but I I, I think I can. You know, I know what buildings are, right? <laughs> and rent, rent, you know, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, no, you're you're basically an expert. But, yeah, yeah. Well, but first, what you have to do is you have to work on fan fiction message boards, writing your real estate story, and mm. then you have to bring it into the mainstream. That's true. Um, That's true. But uh, my one of my and this wasn't even a big problem. And we'll we'll talk more about this in, in yeah. Dagon. But mm-hmm. one problem I had with this was the same problem I had with Reanimator. The 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 mixing of tones. Um, the film it wants us to be horrified and sickened. Uh, but it also has uh, Ken Forey in orange briefs attacking a giant worm with a knife. And... Yeah, and I even like when I saw it back when I was a kid, I remember just laughing so loud with that, which I think is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, but it's a very weird thing. It's like it's supposed to be the sense, like, oh my god, he's fighting. <laughs> but it's comical. But I think I, I mean, intended. But it's weird intention. Well, and even though I had seen this movie before, when they're down in the basement and. Uh, Tillingham's uh Tillingham Tillingham is kind of like trying to fight off this worm and and uh Bubba's like I'll be right back. I'm like, "Oh, he's running upstairs to get the axe." No, 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 no. Right. He runs into the kitchen to get a knife and then this muscled African-American guy in just his underwear jumps from the steps and just starts stabbing this giant worm in the back. I'm like, "Okay, come on. <laughs> you had me then you lost me." I mean, do you think that was a choice of his to wear the orange briefs or was it like you had a set, to, you know. You had the person on the set going, "Get give Ken the orange briefs." He, here's the thing: whether he decided to wear the orange briefs or not, someone, right. and someone. <laughs> I mean, these guys wrote for him to be in that position where he would attack a giant worm in his briefs. So it's more of that, like, and it, it certainly seems like it's intentional because for the most part, Gordon has a pretty good handle on the tone throughout the rest of the movie. So it seems like this is intentional. It's just. I don't need to laugh at that moment, and I understand right. that you know it, it kind of breaks up the tension and the fear because like shit's hitting the fan when that happens. But I don't need to laugh at that moment. Like, let me be horrified. Let me be worried that they're going to reach the the, the breakers in time. Like, let me be in that tension instead of Ken Forey being Ken Forey. Right. I mean, it's not as heroic as he is in Dawn of the Dead when he's just sitting there and you're like, okay, he's gonna. Just die, but then he's like, you know what? The hell with this. Just starts and punching, 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 punching zombies. Don't give a shit. Like butt of a gun, just like elbowing. And you're like, yo, this dude. Like I've always, I mean, with Romero gone now too, you'll probably never get it. But I always wanted to see. There was always this rumor that one of the new dead films was gonna find Ken Forey and I always forget the the woman from oh, yeah, that. Yeah. But like, because they had escaped mm-hmm. and. They flew away and like they would find him in Canada. Like they've holed up and like have this stronghold, and they'd be older and like you know, basically living their lives normally. But of course, then people come in like Dawn of the Dead and like it all yeah. goes to shit again. You know, like like it always does. But, yeah. No, but and, and Ken Forey's great. Like Ken Forey is such a good and likable, charismatic actor that, a, uh, like a year or two later, oh no, 1990 when he when he did Leatherface, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Sure. His character is blatantly killed in the movie. Like, like he gets a, like a chainsaw in the neck and the head or whatever, in the water. And you're like, oh, he's dead. 
Then at the end, he comes out of nowhere, hey, and he's got like a little scratch. You're like, <laughs> and it's because the test audiences loved him so much, they complained, wait, why'd you kill him off? So they, re- <laughs> so they refilmed an ending with him coming to save her. You're like, damn, that's some likability right there. <laughs> no, he this, is... one he di- this one he didn't get out with with uh, with a little, little, little more than a scratch, you could say. Yeah, eaten, eaten alive by, by bugs, like, I believe, which, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, like like these weird bugs that just devour his legs, mm-hmm. which, again, it's supposed to, it's horrific, and it is horrific, but at the same time, I couldn't help but laugh, like, these little leg, bone legs, like, yeah. kind of kicking. Like, remind me of The State, where I, I did, no, no, it was um, uh, Mr. Show. I think it was Mr. Show when um, David Cross's character had, like, this condition where he had no, like, his body was all little skinny, <laughs> and it's the most, like, it looked like clay, and it's just like, <laughs> hey, guys. And it's like the grossest thing ever. That's what it reminded me of, like little David Cross with his claymation legs and arms, you know. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, Ken Forey unfortunately does not get out of this one alive, but it, it's uh, in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. That's one of my favorite cameos is to have him as like the the uh, the the doom and gloom like uh, priest on the newscast, like speaking about when there's no more room in hell. Like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that it's like, oh yeah, that's because he said, you know, they said that in the other film. Awesome, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that. That, what I love is that they got cameos from everybody yeah. from Dawn of the Dead, which was cool. Like, and then you saw like which ones aged well and which ones didn't. Wait, was even the his Ken Forey's like buddy, the other cop? Was, yeah. He, which which part? Which cameo was he in? In the he's he's like I think the the general or something at one point on the news. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, like he he got really old looking, but like you know, it's like when you go, oh my, oh my god, that's him. Yeah, they're all like in news footage or like whatever. I'm like clever you know like little nod yeah, to the well, original and you, you can't miss tom savini whenever he shows up so he's he's obviously in there as well but of course he's in uh, everything though. <laughs> that's also true <laughs> um but from beyond uh pretty bleak ending um and i like how it yeah. kind of has that cyclical feel where like it, it starts with everyone assuming crawford tillinghist is uh is insane even though what his experience is real and then at the end we have dr mcmichael's cackling madly and everyone's going to assume that she's crazy even though she just experienced this whole thing it is it is very lovecraft and just kind of had that thing where it's like yep she's crazy now and no one's going to believe her right and i love like to me it's like a great it's a great dark ending when she's like it ate him <laughs> of course you sound like a psychopath or something like what mm-hmm. and she just starts cackling and then black and you're like <laughs> okay that sucks then nothing is good and she's going to be put in an insane asylum and like forgotten mm-hmm. okay you're okay even though I think her story might have some um, collaboration, considering like a bunch of people in the hospital were eaten alive by a guy. I don't Good know. point. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the doctor block, and then that one, the one EMT person gets eaten too. Right. I think like when he's trying to escape. Into yeah. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. So yeah. Yeah. Probably a little more. Well, they'll probably blame her. I, I guess, even though I would, you know? I would assume even in the '80s, hospitals had security cameras. But what you know, what do I know? A good point. Yeah. Um, well, let's get more bleak, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, but overall, I think it, it's a, a a rarity for this podcast and a, a pretty faithful adaptation. And I think a pretty good film as well. Yeah, it's it's a fun ride. It's like you know, even with the little changes that might not be the best, but like they're fun. Like you know, and like I remember, um, when this film, you know, when when we watched it younger, and then when it came out, they like had to restore it on rated cut of the film, which was great because. Yeah. The R-rated version was one that I know Gordon had to um, – basically they told him – I think they said like 10 times too much of everything is in this film. So you're going to be – got to cut everything. So 
but he was actually smart. He somehow made little trims mm-hmm. within the film, like a minute here, 30 seconds there, and somehow got by without taking out entire sequences from the film, which was actually a rarity, you know, in that kind of thing. And then I think I remember um, in the mid-2000s, there was this cable channel that I always wanted called Monsters HD. Oh, yeah. And that was where a lot of these films were first put, like, again, on, like, in HD footage, you know, like <clears throat> like something like um, this. And I think um, the Monster Squad, before that got re-released, oh, yeah. they had, like, HD cut, you know, like, and you're like, okay. That was, like, a very underrated channel that then, like, went away. But it was I think it was MGM-owned, so all their films they would put up and, like, you know, put out there. And, again, this is also a film that has, like, actually really good reviews from a lot of people, like... Um, I think I think Ebert gave it like two and a half stars, you know, which is actually really good for him for a horror movie, especially that time. Three, I think, yeah. Either way, and it's like, like he basically he like he liked it, like who really try. He even says he compared him to like James Whale, Todd Browning, and Roger Corman, like people that will try even with the lowest budget, like yeah, they're giving it his all, and like like that's what we said, like just you know, and you know, again. Um, let's see. Yeah, Gene Siskel also enjoyed the movie. So that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene, yeah, that's what it was. Siskel gave it three stars. Which, okay, oh, okay. So it's funny. So three and two and a half stars. They would have both given it thumbs up, which is a is a rarity for like a horror film, especially that time. Yeah, that, for them. that and that's one of the things that I I miss about uh Roger Ebert as a critic was that he always yes. tried to approach a film on its terms versus what he thought it should have been or could have been. For the most part, he he. Like, what I love about Ebert, even when he was wrong. And a lot of times you just look at a, some films, like the slasher films, you, you could tell a lot of times he didn't watch the film because yeah. he would talk about the film where, oh, all the women got killed horribly. And it's like, you forgot the five guys that got like their dicks ripped off and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 I hate that mentality of like most slasher films are like that. It's like, usually everyone gets killed. They always had that template of what they thought. And like, I think one of the films that he actually actively went back and reviewed again years later that he loved was... Um, Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Going back to that, he hated it when it came out. He, said, oh, it's, he gave it like no stars or whatever. But then people over the years said you should really watch it again. I don't know where you're coming from. It seems like you were like angry or something. And he went back and then like he felt like he thought it was a masterpiece. He's like, what the hell was I thinking? Mm-hmm. So you know, again, that's something like with like you know Lovecraft stuff, like with this film especially. Like I think it grows. This is one that grows over time. Like I think at the time people were disappointed. It wasn't as like, I don't know what you say. Like, like, like it wasn't like Reanimator. Like, and people, sadly, in in the horror world, when someone comes out with a film and they love that first film, the second film comes out, and if it's not like the same, they like they're up in arms. Like, oh, this sucks. It's too dark. Oh, what the hell's with this? Even though it's like you could tell the same filmmaker making like the same world, but I think that's it was like a film that like a lot of I remember a lot of friends would like pass this one by. Mm-hmm. All nuts. It's not Reanimator. I'm like, yeah, it's better than Reanimator. Like, watch it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like, would, I would certainly agree with you, but I, I think we might be uh, the minority in that sense. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see when this comes out. We'll see if we are the minority. I, I, yeah, I suppose so. But um, but that's, I think that does just about does it for uh from beyond. But obviously, uh, if you've been paying any attention at all, and I, I fully understand if you have tuned out numerous times, um, you know that the next film that we'll be covering from Student Gordon, we could have done Castle Freak. Uh, we could have done um, his uh, his episode of Dreams in the Witch House or Masters of Horror, but instead we settled on 
uh, 2001's Dagon, and to be entirely honest with you, part of that was because I had never seen it. I had seen snippets of it on the Sci-Fi Channel, but I was like, mm-hmm. let's get into it. So, ha- had you seen this before, uh, before we, we decided to cover it? Yes, I've, I've, I've watched it a couple times over the years. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. We'll, yeah. we'll discuss my... You know my travels with that film. So. Yeah, this one. I, I as I was watching, I'm like, I think this one might be one where James and I are going to diverge the most. But you know, I, I could be wrong we'll about that. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So we are. Um, in in conclusion, we are certainly happy to be happy to be back. It's always easy to get in touch with us. You can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail I'm Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media, and of course, we are cast cthulhu on twitter as well remember that is c-t-h-u-l-h-u thank you for listening feel so good to be back next time we'll be talking about 2001's dagon but in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu at his house in relia 